Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Monday, August the 9th, 2021. 702 on this, well, it's uh, it's a, it's a you know another interesting weather week in Tucson and also in the uh, throughout the state of Arizona. But uh, looking forward to a great week of sports and sports talk and with you guys and interacting on Twitter and however other ways we want to we want to interact. And uh, looking forward to a great week of uh, of just uh, you know breaking down sports and as we get closer to the college football season, the NFL season, of course, this is preseason week number one in the NFL. There are plenty of games to be played Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so we're going to have uh, a lot of reaction from games that are going to occur as the first couple of games play Thursday night. Uh, of course, the Hall of Fame game was uh, last week. We already talked about that for the four seconds it deserved. And then we will, uh, you know, again, preseason is not something you want to discuss in depth on Sports Talk Radio unless you're kind of just like the flagship for the team. Um so, you know, again, we, we will we will talk about the things that need to be talked about here. And, of course, uh, we'll keep a very, very close eye on the NFC West as that is close to home as the Arizona Cardinals have uh, have been running their camp. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about who's been there and who hasn't been there. And uh, we'll actually be bringing on a guest during this week uh, to dus- discuss some of those things. Uh, you know, someone uh, up in uh, Phoenix who has actually been – at the practices, at the camp every single day, talking with the coaches, talking with the players, and uh, we'll get an inside look at Cardinal Camp coming up uh, probably maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. We'll uh, we'll get somebody online here that uh, uh, give you some inside information. The Arizona Wildcats opened their summer, or I guess you could call it fall practice season. It's, it's, it was like 196 degrees out there on uh, on Friday. It was very hot, and I got to admit, I got absolutely sunburned. Like, like my skull is just absolutely scalded. See, I didn't prepare all that well. I didn't. I didn't. I, I neglected to bring a hat. Uh, I didn't have any sunscreen or sunblock or anything like that to put on, because I figure, you know, hey, they've got this forty-five million dollar building that they just built for football practice, an indoor facility, and uh, I figure, you know, they'll, they'll have practice in there, and they didn't. Practice was outside, and. I was headed towards the uh, the shade where all the media was congregated, and the fans, of course, were congregating in the shade as well. Of course, it felt felt good in the shade. It was really hot out there uh, Friday Friday morning, and uh, ended up being stopped by my good friend Brian Jeffries, and we ended up talking for about an hour before I made it to the shade. But it's all good, and uh, you know, it's all part of the uh, part of the experience. And we got to watch practice and stuff, and uh, talk with Brian, and talk with several other members of the media and members of the Arizona Athletics Department that I haven't seen in, you know, several months. And it was a, a great reunion and, and great to talk with some of those people and, and uh, really enjoy, uh, you know, talking with everybody there. It was, it was nice to get down to Tucson and uh, take in a practice. I look forward to getting down there for some more and, uh, and uh, seeing some more of this football team. And, and honestly, like, you know, what I saw from the football team and then some of the other things that, uh, that were seen over the weekend on Saturday and then, of course, the practice that they had Sunday night, Look, I think you know things are you know looking as good as they possibly could. 
for a team that's in the midst of a 12-game losing streak uh, with an entirely new revamped staff going into a season where there's a lot of new players, and I mean a lot of new players uh, coming in, whether it be via the via recruiting as freshmen or via the transfer portal, and there's a ton of transfers on this team. A lot of them look pretty good. Um, some of the takeaways that were made from this weekend, and some of these are my observations, some of these are other people's observations, and others are mentioned by coaches, you know, specifically players by name and, and positions uh, by coaches during the during the press conferences that are had. Now, I was there for the the Friday practice. Jed Fish was there, of course, giving his uh, giving his analysis of the first day of of uh, fall practice. You know, he named wide receiver freshman Dorian Singer by name in his opening statement on Friday, uh, and that says a lot. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. And, and look, some early takeaways from the from the weekend of practice. I think it's to be expected that the that the quarterback, you know, the, the the quarterbacks that they have here on scholarship, it, it's it's been a lot of early inconsistency at that position, and that's to be expected. Uh, quarterbacks don't come along quickly. I know that um, a lot of people may be disappointed, including some of the coaching staff, that no one has separated themselves from the pack but it's been three days folks like let's pump the brakes a little bit here let's allow these quarterbacks to work up a lather and see who really can separate themselves it's going to take time especially time once we get into that two-week period after they've closed practices to the fans and the media okay that's when you're really going to get into the meat and potatoes of this when they put pads on they start actually running plays calling plays it's game situations and then, of course, whatever decision is made and how that particular quarterback performs against BYU on September 4th in Las Vegas. I, I'm not going to even try to make any, you know, any predictions or anything like that. We know what the different quarterbacks bring. We know that Will Plummer has experience here at Arizona. We know that he played well when he was asked to last year. He's a gritty, tough kid. Um, I love the way he approaches the game of football. We know that Gunnar Cruz comes in touting a rifle for a right arm, and he actually showed that off yesterday as he was able to hit Tavian Cunningham, who is uh, – that kid, I'll tell you what, when I watch Tavian Cunningham in person, it is absolutely impressive. When you see him on the field level and when he really opens up that gate and gets into his full sprinter motion and full, full sprinter mode, my God, is he fast. And uh, he split the safeties – on a deep pass yesterday for a touchdown, and Gunnar Cruz was able to flex his muscle a little bit and uh, hit Cunningham for a touchdown. Um, and it actually, it hit hitting Tavian Cunningham twice for touchdowns in the practice. One was on a rollout where he also showed his arm strength, rolling out to his right, throwing across his body um, into the end zone for a touchdown. So, uh, you know, we know that Gunnar Cruz is, is going to bring that strong right arm. Jordan McLeod, of course, brings a lot of experience at D1 level. Played a full season last year at USF, and a lot of duality with his with his abilities there. He's a great athlete uh, at the quarterback position. Didn't get a chance to see him throw the football much on Friday, but from what I've heard, it's it's been somewhat inconsistent. But again, it's his first practices. I mean, it's the first time he's being on the field with these guys, so it's going to take some time. Uh, I, I think the, the most important thing is is that. There's high energy among the quarterback competition, and there is a good competition going on. That's 
that's one of the things that I noticed about practice. I've been to, I don't know, 2,000 football practices in my life. I, I, probably more, actually. Uh, that might be a, a real modest uh, a, a real modest assumption there, but um, estimation. I've been to a lot of football practices, okay? The best football teams are teams that ex- exude great energy in practice that give a lot of themselves at practice. And I felt just from being on the field on Friday, and yes, it was the first practice and everything, so I get it. Guys are going to go out there. They're, they're well-rested. They've got their wind. Uh, you know, a lot of them have something to prove in their opening practice. I get it, okay? I've, I've been that guy before. Um, I, some of my best practices ever were my first practices of the season. It just, it just the way it goes. Um, so I get it. But – there was a lot of energy and a lot of great competition at all the different levels. So I'm very, very encouraged by that. You always want to see a lot of energy, a lot of chatter going on at practice, guys competing, having a good time, and coaches coaching. You know, and that's uh, that's you know ultimately what you want. And look, just looking at how the practice was conducted, look, it's important. You know, uh, Bill Parcells. I think it was Bill Parcells. Uh, he had mentioned at one t- at one point in his career that fifty percent of your coaching job is conducting your practices, basically constructing a practice that is going to be, uh, a, you know, efficient and effective. I can't remember the exact words that he used, but basically saying that look, you know, games are made on the Tuesday through Saturday that you prepare for that team, and how you conduct a practice the speed at which you conduct your practice. Look, I've been to plenty of practices where the coaches just don't know. They kind of don't have, like, they don't have an idea of what they're doing. There's no real fluid movement in practice. There's a lot of whistle blowing. There's a lot of stoppages in practice. Th- those are the worst because players want to, they want to get in that rhythm. They want to work on that ladder. And if you're constantly blowing whistles or you're stopping, you're going to go do another drill and you go and do this. And there's no real flow to the action. It just breaks everything down and you end up, losing so much momentum during that practice. And I know this all sounds silly to some of you, but trust me, it's it's huge. And watching how Jed Fish ran his practice on Friday, I was reminded of some of the practices that I've attended from other very successful coaches. I, I thought look, Ken Wisenhunt, you know, I, I covered the Cardinals for several years, and Ken Wisenhunt was, was a, a really good coach, in my opinion, and I felt like his practices – were about as good as I've been to because, I, look, I've been to practices where Joe Bugle was the head coach of the Cardinals, and that was uh, that was a, a comedy of errors. Um, watching, you know, a good head coach with a good practice plan, and I'm sure that Jed Fish has collected these tips and you know professional you know insight from his time with some of the great coaches that he spent time with, namely Bill Belichick in New England last last year a guy who really knows how to run a practice. So um, I felt like the overall feel of practice was really, really good. I thought the coaches did a great job. The running back rotation is deep. We know that, okay? I hardly recognize Michael Wiley. I've seen Michael Wiley for the last two years in a Wildcat uniform. Hardly noticed him when I was on the field on Friday because he's gotten so big. I mean, he's, he's put on, I don't know, probably 8 to 10 or 11, 12 pounds of muscle. Look like a completely different player. 
I went and saw Stevie Rocker play at CDO last year and you know, knew about his problems with the high ankle sprain. Obviously, he had that huge sophomore season at CDO and then kind of was impacted by that high ankle sprain and some ankle injuries throughout his final two seasons at CDO. And I went and watched him play um, last year in a game and could obviously see that there was something wrong. He, he, you know, he, he didn't have any kind of explosion. Um, he looked a little smaller than I kind of expected him to look. And then I saw him on Friday and was like, oh, yeah, that's the kid that I remember hearing about the sophomore season when he ran for like 1,240 yards or whatever it was and actually just burst onto the scene at CDO down there in Tucson. And so when I saw him on Friday, he looked confident. He looked quick. After having suffered through two years of ankle injuries and disappointment in his own performance at CDO, and obviously he holds himself to a very high standard, otherwise he wouldn't be as successful as a young man as he is, uh, I felt he looked really quick, really confident, and he looked much bigger and stronger than when I saw him previous season. So the, the, the uh, off-season weight program has served itself well in the running back room. And, look, it's going to be a, a good running back rotation. There's going to be three, four guys getting reps at the running back position for Arizona this year, and I, I'm, I'm excited about that. And, obviously, somebody's going to separate themselves as the number one guy. It could be Michael Wiley because he does have great ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Could be a young guy like Stevie Rocker. We don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll allow the coaches to do their job. And, obviously, um, it won't just be one guy the entire time. The wide receiver position, it, look, it is deep. It is talented. Jalen Johnson has made some really impressive catches over the weekend. Tavian Cunningham, as I mentioned, that straight line sprinter speed that is just so, it's so explosive. And if if we can figure out ways to get that guy into space and just get him, if, if, if we can if we can ever get Tavian Cunningham in a one-on-one and a running start on a corner or a safety, by God, it's over. I mean, it's it's over. You know, and I mentioned Coach Fish named, he mentioned fresh, uh, freshman Dorian Singer by name in his opening statement. Those are three of the guys right there that I, you know, have a, have a good chance to catch balls on Saturday. And then, of course, we all, I haven't even mentioned just how good we know Stanley Berryhill is, Jamari Joyner, and how Brian Castile is. Now, Brian Castile has had a little bit of a, a case of the drops, apparently, um, in this in, in this you know short stint in practice so far, I guarantee he's going to shore that up. Guys don't have great hands like Brian because I've seen Brian Castile catch some really incredible balls in games. Uh, you don't have great hands like that and just get the drops. You just you, 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 he'll figure that out. Brian Castile is a very talented wide receiver, and uh, I expect him to shore that up real quick. On the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, making headlines was the press conference by Don Brown. Uh, he is, uh, let me tell you, he is an absolute joy to be around. Just an ab- he's a he's a pleasure to be around. He's, you know, he's that old football guy that has all the great anecdotes. But we learned on Saturday that he's not just some, you know, some old fuddy-duddy, stick-in-the-mud defensive coordinator. He's He's a guy that analyzes film. He's an analytics guy. He really uses the technology to his favor when he's analyzing and figuring out how to play defense. Now, Chuck Cecil spoke glowingly about Coach Brown and his ability to play 
defenses that wouldn't normally be able to stop certain types of offenses, and he's been able to do that. Don Brown, look, I, I, I said this the day that he was hired. I, I, was, uh, I was brought on a podcast, uh, a podcast that, speaks, that talks only Wildcat athletics, okay, the day that Don Brown was hired. I was brought on as a guest, and my opening statement was, the moment Don Brown steps foot on campus, he immediately becomes the best defensive coordinator that Arizona football has ever had in its history. That was my statement. I think we're going to see that come to fruition this season. He is remarkable at what he does. And he praised the secondary. He went out of his way to praise the back four, the secondary, their playmaking abilities. Look, there's a slew of safeties on this team, freshmen, transfer guys, um, and a lot of excitement, of course, surrounding Notre Dame transfer Isaiah Rutherford. So you're back four, your your safeties, your secondary, okay, a lot of guys that we're not going to be too familiar with, but there's a lot of ball players there. Um, I felt like D-line play has been good. I do think that players like J.B. Brown, and I'm talking about veterans, okay, J.B. Brown, Trayvon Mason, Aaron Blackwell, those guys are going to be expected to carry the load as the upperclassmen on the D-line. There's a lot of young D-linemen on this, on this squad, and as we know, young D-linemen have not developed into that, that man body yet, right? Okay, Some of the reasons why Utah is allowed to be so successful uh, over the years, I'm talking about you know, University of Utah, is because their defensive linemen are like 26 years old, right? They're like full, grown-ass men out there playing defensive line. They're very physical. They're very tough to, to beat up front. J.B. Brown, Trevon Mason, Aaron Blackwell, going to have to be those dudes for Arizona this year because there's a lot of young guys on the D-line. And there is plenty to be excited about behind the D-linemen. Jason Harris, of course, transfer, freshman transfer from Colorado, and Anthony Pandy, I think, is just going to continue to get better. We've seen Anthony Pandy get better in each of his previous seasons at Arizona. Now he's put on some muscle, put on some more weight. We know he's a great cover guy. We know that he can make plays. In the, at the linebacker position at the second level, I think this year is a year that he has a nice breakout year and uh, is able to get in there and be one of the better linebackers in the, uh, in the Southern Division. So those are some of my takeaways from the first weekend of practice. Obviously, there's a lot more to consume as the, uh, as the days and the weeks go by. They will practice again today before having a day off on Tuesday and then back at it on Wednesday. So we'll keep you, uh, we'll keep you very close to that and uh, things coming out of, uh, out of Wildcat camp. But those are kind of my takeaways. I, look, again, this is the first time that I'm seeing this team, that anybody's seeing this team. These are, these are new players that are being coached by completely new coaches. I wholeheartedly am buying in with what these coaches are preaching and the mentality and the professionalism and the experience that they bring to the table. It's just going to be a matter of whether they can put it all together on a football field when live bullets are flying in four weeks. That's, that's just that's plain and simple. That is the meat and potatoes of it all. How well can they prepare for four weeks from today when they play BYU in Las Vegas? That's, that's what it all comes down to. And we'll keep you posted, of course, on all the happenings there in Wildcat Camp. And, of course, they will on uh, Spears and Ali uh, every weekday here at, from 3 to 6 as well. Um, so coming up throughout the show today, of course, we have some more college football to discuss. If we can get into it, I, I, may, uh, I may continue the college football uh, talk as there was some college football news over the weekend. Plenty of NFL to get into as training camps continue. The Pro Football Hall of Fame inductions, which were 
man, some of them you were laughing, some of them you were crying for. It was uh, it was really impressive, including just an amazing speech given by Peyton Manning. And, of course, the Tokyo Olympics came to a close over the weekend. We'll get into some of that, some of the uh, final takeaways from the Tokyo Olympics and things we we're looking forward to in 2024 with the Paris Games. Now, with school just around, a ho- around the corner, we want to help you and the student in your life get the supplies that they need to succeed. ESPN Tucson's giving you one final chance to win that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. Today is your final day to register. Go to ESPNTucson.com, get your final registration in there, and try to win that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. The Jeff Dean Show right here on 1490 AM, uh, AM 104.9 FM. ESPN Tucson will return next. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here. Jeff Dean with you. 7 to 9 is Tucson's only local sports morning talk show. A sad passing over the weekend. Uh, Look, Bobby Bowden... um, passing away at the age of 91 and we had talked about a couple weeks ago things weren't going well for uh, for coach Bowden and um, you know seeing that the, the you know the end was was coming soon as it does for all of us but uh, passes away at the age of 91 now I had mentioned that th- there just wasn't a more jubilant per a more joyous person a more joyful person to be around um, than coach Bowden so Essentially, my first sports job, like sports, first sports reporting job, I had just been given a weekend show in 1998. Had just been given a weekend show. I was doing Saturday. I was doing one hour on Saturdays. Um, the program director she took a she took a flyer on me and says, "Go ahead. We need you to fill an hour of time at uh, from 11 a.m. to noon on Saturdays." And that show ended up growing into a three-hour show and did quite well. We had a great time uh, with the show. But that was the, to start football season. Basically, she was like, we want uh, you know, an all-football coverage for one hour on Saturdays um, because we, don't, we, we, have a, we have a break between college football games, so we need somebody to talk college football for that hour. I'm like, perfect. I'm your man. Let's go. So my first reporting job, essentially, okay? Now, I had gotten credentials to go to Pac-12 games um, at Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe, and I went to, to several games that year just to kind of get a feel for the live action and such. But my first real reporting job was the BCS National Championship game that was played at the Fiesta Bowl that year. The two teams that were playing were the University of Tennessee and Florida State University. Now, we flipped a coin at the, at the studio. I won, and I picked Florida State because I kind of wanted to, to, you know, Peter Warwick was on that team. You know, there was there was a lot of great players on that on that Florida State team. And I really wanted to just kind of, you know, I was like, oh, I'll cover Florida State. They were the number one team going in. They were the favorite. I was like, I'll take the favorite. You take the take the take the dogs. Now Tennessee ended up winning that game. Tennessee won the national championship. Of course, T. Martin and Peerless Price had huge games. Uh remarkable memories uh, of that game. But one of the things was is, you know, so I had to be at all the Florida State press conferences. Well, Bobby Bowden missed the first Florida State press conference, which happened a couple weeks before the game. His flight, uh, like, got canceled or something, or he missed his connection flight or somewhere, like, in Atlanta. I, don't, I can't remember what it was. And so 
the the uh, president of the Fiesta Bowl at the time, John Junker, said that they're going to assess a five-yard penalty to Florida State. Bobby Bowden, when he finally arrived a couple weeks later to the lead into the game, made a joke about it and stuff, and he was just a lot of fun to be around. Now, I kind of found myself in a situation with Coach Bowden where we were essentially just like right next to each other. It was just kind of spur of the moment. He had stopped to do an interview with some with some people, and all of a sudden more people started showing up, and I just happened to be standing right next to him. And so the interviews the interviews were finished. Okay, everybody got done. The uh, you know the, the reporters are putting away their microphones and their cameras and stuff, and I'm putting away my little digital recorder from Radio Shack, you know. And he turns around and he goes, "I'm sorry, son. Was I in your way?" And I, I thought he was, like, joking or something like that. I'm like, oh, no, Coach, it's, it's all good. And he says, okay, good. And he just patted me on the shoulder, like, like as if to apologize, like, I'm sorry if, if I stood in front of you and kept you from getting the interview that you needed. He's, like, the nicest guy, and I, I'm, I'm not even kidding. One of the most joyful people to be around. I mean, he was just an absolute treasure. And I loved those uh, those four days, essentially, of covering Florida State that we had, that they were here in town for the uh, for the BCS National Championship. My only wish is that he would have won that game. Now, they won, Florida State won the following year. They smashed uh, Virginia Tech, I think, in the Sugar Bowl for the National Championship the following year. But, uh, I, I, you know, I've always kind of wished that Bobby would have won that game because I just, like, it was like, I was, you know, I was 23 years old. It was kind of like my first, you know, I was, I was 22, I think. Yeah, I, was 20, I didn't turn 23 yet. 22 years old, it was kind of like my first, like, not, not, not like football crush or anything like that, but I just, like, here's this coach, this, this amazing, magnanimous coach with championships, and he's larger than life, and he pats me on the shoulder and just to say, like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if, if I stood in front of you for too long. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. It all kind of hit us all at once. Like, super nice guy, um, honestly. And, and look, his, his players speak glowingly about him. I've never heard of a former Florida State players shunning or uh, not wanting to comment about Bobby Bowden. Everybody has something to say about Coach Bowden. Um, and that was just my tiny, tiny, tiny little sliver of, uh, of a moment with Coach Bowden. Uh, truly enjoyed my time covering him and his team for the Fiesta Bowl, the BCS National Championship. Again, just an absolute treasure and a real joy to be around. And uh, he passed away in his home at Tallahassee uh, over the weekend at the age of 91. So we wish his family all the best. I don't mean, I mean, know they're not listening or anything, but got to send up those good feelings regardless. Put it out there in the universe. The good juju will come back. So um, the Tokyo Olympics wrapped up over the weekend, and when we broke on Friday, I had mentioned that the U.S. had a lot of work to do to catch China, not only in the, in the gold medal count, but if they wanted to secure the overall medal count, that they were going to have to do some work over the weekend. Work they did. We'll talk about that next. Don't miss NFL Cover 2 each weekday throughout ESPN Tucson's programming, which is brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company, Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing for Arizona. That's NFL Cover 2 each weekday right here on ESPN. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Tokyo Olympics came to a close over the weekend in the 
closing ceremonies that uh, welcomed essentially the new host city, of course, as they always do as they pass the torch, so to speak, to the uh, to the new host company, or the new host country that is, of course, Paris, France, going to be hosting the uh, the Olympics in 2024. When we broke on Friday, the U.S. was behind China in the gold medal count. They were down, I think, seven or eight in the in the gold medal count. They were ahead in the in the overall. Uh, but it was close. Now, over the weekend, they surged ahead to take home not only the overall medal count title, which is 113 out of 300, 339 total medals. The U.S. won exactly a third of them, 113 of them. Um, so the U.S., once again, dominant, number one in bronze, number one in silver, and eked out China by one in the gold medal count. Just some uh, notables from over the weekend. Allison Phoenix, Allison Felix, who we talked about on Friday, the 35-year-old mother who had gotten bronze in the in the 100-meter, uh, ends up taking home gold in the 4x400-meter relay, her 11th medal in uh, in U.S. track and field history, which is absolutely amazing. Men's basketball dominated France. KD dominates the world. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Durant was just absolutely incredible in the final five games of the tournament this year in the Olympics, uh, just proving that he is, without question, one of the three best players on the planet. Uh, he was just absolutely remarkable. He was unstoppable. There was nothing that France could do um, to stop him. It was just it, it, it sheer force of will. Women's basketball defeated Japan for the gold medal, of course. And uh, the women's basketball team continues to dominate international competition. Now, while we do believe that international competition is catching up, the U.S. women's team is still absolutely dominant. I think they won by 15 over Japan. Um, and I think they, I do believe they let off the gas a little bit there near the end as well. So huge, uh, huge comebacks for the, uh, for the U.S. over the weekend. And they take home the, uh, the overall title and the gold medal title, as I mentioned, 39 to 38 over China. I always love doing this, and, and you see uh, analytics do this, specifically coming from the West Coast because you know we're very proud of our Olympic sports here in the Pac-12. It's that whole, if the Pac-12 were its own country, <laughs> right? So if the Pac-12 were its own country, according to the Pac-12 conference, and based on the medal standings, because individual medals won by Pac-12 athletes who were part of the same relay or the same team, they count as one collective medal. So if there were, you know, four Pac-12 members on the U.S. men's basketball team, that's just one gold medal for the uh, for the Pac-12. Okay, so I kind of like the way they do it a little bit better than some of the other because there, there's like there's other analytics out there that are like the Pac-12 would have won 108 medals, which is second in the you know of all the countries. And if you take away the players in those countries, it actually the Pac-12 would have beaten all the countries and yada yada yada. The, the way the Pac-12 the Pac-12 conference does it, I prefer their model. The Pac-12 um, in, in their model would have finished with 59 overall medals, which would have been the fifth highest country in the in the Olympics this year, which is just absolutely remarkable when you when you think about just how successful the Pac-12 is in sending athletes to the Olympics and all these Olympic sports. And of course, University of Arizona, very very proud of their medal winners and everybody that represented the University of Arizona at the Olympics this year. I believe the Pac-12 had participants 
uh, Pac-12 conference had uh, participants in from 24, represented from 24 or 27 different countries, which is absolutely amazing to think about uh, when you when you think about who all is competing in the Olympics. And, you know, it is, uh, it is a wonderful melting pot. You know, we, we, we talk about it at U of A. There's students, uh, you know, students enrolled at the U of A from 109 different countries across the world. And it's, it's just a very amazing melting pot out here in the Pac-12 out west. And uh, we continue to dominate the Olympics and the Olympic sports. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, you know, the former commissioner here and Larry Scott and talking about, oh, the Olympics or this and that. I mean, it's, we, we still will discuss football and basketball as king here in the Pac-12. Looking ahead to Paris real quick, 2024. Um, it's going to be interesting because they, they gave us a little taste of what it's going to look like. Paris is going to feature because it's not – look, Paris is very, very p- tightly packed. If you've ever been there, you know just how just compact everything is there. And it's very similar to old European countries and old European cities. There are plenty of elder landmarks that have been preserved through time that have just been kind of surrounded by – the technology and the living of people obviously growing uh, as, as our you know numbers continue to, to grow throughout the years. Their games and events will be featured alongside famous Parisian landmarks. Like they showed a picture of the beach volleyball tournament being held right in front, like right on the grass in front of or the grounds in front of the Eiffel Tower. You know, they have some wonderful landmarks in, in Paris, and they're going to hold the events like right there, <laughs> right at the landmarks. Um, soccer, of course, will be held in different stadiums. I know Paris had the, uh, or France had the, the World Cup a few years ago. They're going to follow that same model. Now, I'm just wondering if it's too late to get into surfing because surfing was introduced at the, Jap- uh, the Tokyo Olympics in, here in 2021. It will be returning for 2024. Obviously, it's France, okay? They're not going to be surfing off the coast of France. Instead... The surfing competition is going to take place 9,000 miles away in Tahiti, which is French territory, of course. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's too late to start my surfing career for uh, amateur uh, sports because, man, would I love to just go to Tahiti and get on a surfboard and not even really care about winning a medal or not, just I'm in Tahiti. Um, and then finally, I think most the most interesting thing to note of the upcoming Olympics in Paris is going to be the first time now, everybody has their own take on how they want to do their medals, right, the actual medals themselves. Paris is going to have shareable medals. Now, the picture that I saw looked kind of like an ice cream sandwich. That's the best way that I could describe it, okay? There's, like, there's different discs, okay, in the, like, in the metal, and they can be separated into, th- into four separate discs, and you can share three discs with people that were influential, you know, mom and dad or coaches or whatever, people that inspired you along the way. So you can split the, the medal into four other medals. So <laughs> three, you know, 300, you know, 339 total medals given out. There's, you know, 115 or whatever gold medals given out. Um, there's there's going to be a whole lot of people walking around with medals, like Olympic gold medals. Like, did you win that? Like, well... Uh, it was given to me by somebody who won one. Well, really, they just gave you their medal? Well, they kept their medal, but I got one of the little breakables. That's an interesting take on the uh, on the medal situation. So that'll be interesting to see and how people determine, you know, athletes determine who they want to give pieces of their medal to. 
That's uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, the picture was cool. If you get a chance to look it up, if you're interested, uh, you can check that out and uh, and see if you you know if you like it. This is interesting news that's coming out this morning. Now we know all you know very well that sports book and sports betting is becoming very very prevalent here in the U.S. The United States Supreme Court just a few years ago ruled that it is essentially unconstitutional for Nevada to be the only state to allow sports betting, right? So it opened up to all of the other states. And since then, I believe somewhere like 30 or 32 U.S. Uh, US states have approved sports, ba- sports gambling um, within their boundaries, of course, and Arizona being one of them starting September 9th, Arizona is going to have legal sports gambling here in the state. Now, the Arizona Cardinals announced, alongside sportsbook operator BetMGM and the Gila River Hotels and Casinos, that they're going to build a retail sportsbook at State Farm Stadium in Glendale. It will be the first of its kind in the NFL and will be ready for the 2022 season. So, not this year, but the following year, the Arizona Cardinals home stadium, State Farm Stadium, is going to have a retail sports book attached to it inside or uh, just on the outside of it. There is going to be a legal sports book on site at the Cardinals games, which is unbelievable. Now, this is not brand new news as far as sports books being added to sporting venues here in the state because if you weren't paying attention, I think it was like, uh, I don't know, five or six months ago, I think it was, right, right at the beginning of the year, essentially, the Phoenix Suns announced they had a partnership with FanDuel. And FanDuel, of course, does an amazing job uh, running their retail sports book online. They're going to be doing a retail site at the um, at the arena, at the, um, uh, what, what's it, the Footprint Arena, whatever it's called. I don't know. Whatever whatever the thing is called. The, where the Suns play basketball. It's probably going to change again before they open the season. Um, so FanDuel and the Phoenix Suns have already announced their partnership to open a retail site uh, on the on the campus where the Phoenix Suns are. And then, of course, there have been some other. You know, I, know, I know Washington D.C. jumped in whole hog, and uh, I know the Wizards and the Capitals are going to have live sports betting at their games. And interestingly enough, the first major league team to break this. And, and look, you know, sports betting in baseball has been taboo for since its inception right you know the, goes all the way back to the black Sox scandal in 1908 i have a, a picture of old ebbets field um and literally there's the scoreboard and the biggest advertisers there's all kinds of advertisements for tobacco and cigarettes and different you know different kinds of things the largest advertisement in the entire stadium was it says absolutely no gambling on baseball that's like it was like the number one rule okay which is why we came down so hard on pete rose and some people continue to because it's been the number one rule in baseball forever the chicago cubs were the first team to announce that they're going to be building a two-story sports book at wrigley field which is (laughs) i mean to think about like you know wrigley field is second oldest ballpark still in use in major league baseball but they're going to be the first one to break into that on-site sports book, a two-story sports book at Wrigley Field, which is uh, unbelievable to, to even comprehend that baseball is going to have something like this. But this is the time. This is the 21st century. Everything has changed. Sports betting has become so incredibly prevalent 
and commonplace. And we are absolutely going to be talking about that here on the Jeff Dean Show, here at ESPN Tucson. Of course, Spears and Ali will be having their uh, their takes and, and their you know forays into sports betting. We'll definitely be doing it here. But I just thought it was interesting that the first the first NBA team to get a sports book, an onsite, or to announce an onsite sports book, was the Phoenix Suns, and the first NFL team was the Arizona Cardinals. So the state of Arizona jumping in head first, like, yep, sports betting starts September 9th. Let's start building buildings attached to our uh, attached to our sporting venues and give people that access right there, which is cool. Like, this is it's going to be interesting. I'm not a huge sports gambler myself. I'm not a big gambler. I'm just not. I don't. I don't like to gamble away money. I'm just I'm kind of tight that way and finicky and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I do like to jump into the world of sports betting from time to time, and I do like to uh, uh, do like to to lay down a little cash on some uh, on some things here and there. Usually friendly bets, but uh, you know now that it's becoming legal on September 9th, I'm sure I'm gonna have to open up that uh, open up that checkbook, start figuring some things out, and figure out how I can be a better sports better, which we'll do here, right here alongside you on the Jeff Dean Show. When we return, a look ahead at uh, some of the developments that occurred over the weekend in the NFL training camp, specifically taking a look at the NFC West and the emergence of one of the rookie quarterbacks in the class may be coming a lot sooner than a lot of people thought. That's next here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Stay tuned because in hour number two, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to go see FC Tucson take on the Union Omaha. Aquino Stadium this Saturday, August 14th. Stay tuned. Be uh, ready for your cue to call. Win yourself a pair of tickets to go see some soccer. Uh, this just coming in, it appears that Arizona State football has placed two more of its assistant coaches on administrative leave. This time it's defensive backs coach Chris Hawkins and wide receivers coach Prentice Gill. Um, according to sources, they have been placed on administrative leave. That makes now three total ASU assistants who are on administrative leave with the school as they currently deal with this NCAA investigation into its uh, uh, recruiting practices that uh, that made headlines, of course, uh, several months ago and are continuing to uh, to work through. It'll be interesting to see what happens and how quickly the NCAA is able to adjudicate on this. I know there was some threat that ASU may not even play a game this year. I think this is all moving absolutely too clo- uh, too slowly to be – um, to be considered a, a you know a, a shutdown for the season, um, but you know placing three coaches on administrative leave when your opening game is four weeks away, not a good sign for Arizona State. And uh, obviously they're feeling the heat right now, and uh, rightfully so. I mean you know the, the 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 allegations that are levied against them are very very serious allegations, and if found guilty could have extremely serious ramifications uh, for Arizona State football. So we'll keep a closer eye on that, of course. But, yes, uh, as it stands right now, it looks like two more assistants, DB coach Chris Hawkins and wide receiver coach Prentice Gill, have been placed on administrative leave up in Tempe. And uh, we'll see if more dominoes continue to fall, including maybe even their uh, you know their, their assistant head coach, associate head coach. And, uh, you know, we're all familiar with, with who that is, Antonio Pierce. 
So some NFL training camp depth charts are starting to be revealed. If you want to look at your favorite team, obviously go right ahead. I'm not going to go through them all. That's that's just nobody wants to hear that. Um, but if you want to take a look at your favorite team, there are plenty out there that are starting to reveal their depth charts. I know the Kansas City Chiefs have and several others. But the rookie quarterbacks in the class, okay, and I'm, I'm looking at – I think we all, we're all familiar with – you know, Zach Wilson, I think we know that he's going to be the starter in New York for the Jets. I think a lot of people are, you know, ready to agree to that. And also, of course, Trevor Lawrence going to be the starter. He's the day one starter in Jacksonville. Outside of that, when you look at the other the other members from this rookie class, you've got, of course, Trey Lance, who was drafted number three overall. The 49ers gave up a lot of assets to go up and move up to trade up to get him. They uh, actually said today, Kyle Shanahan said today, that as it stands right now, it would be a long shot for Trey Lance to be QB1 because, quote, Jimmy G is having such a great camp. Again, I caution you as fans to uh, hear the words that they are saying and believe none of them because that all could be a smokescreen and it could be bait to come out there for another team to come out and try to trade for, for Jimmy Garoppolo and see if they can recoup some of those assets that were given up for Trey Lance. One other quarterback who is making headlines, and I do believe will be the starter day one, is Justin Fields in Chicago. He continues to just impress the hell out of people at Bears camp, and I do believe he's going to be QB1 when the season kicks off on September 9th, or the week of September 9th. So we'll keep a close eye on that, but I do believe it's trending that direction as he is the better choice in Chicago. All right, that's our number one in the books. Our number two coming up. We've got some Wildcat basketball to discuss. Pro Football Hall of Fame induction, some NFL, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. You're listening right here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.